Hey, Sarah. Hey, Alex. We're about nearing the end of our season, and I think it's time to turn our question, is this the metaverse, back around on you, and go all the way back to something we talked about in the first episode, something that both Mark Zuckerberg and I cite as a precursor to the metaverse, video games. I am a gamer. I've said this before, but I grew up playing video games. My parents kept me blissfully unaware of their existence until I was in about first grade. That's when I went to a friend's house and played Super Smash Bros. for the first time. It was like having the wool pulled from my eyes. I wheedled my parents until they bought me a GameCube of my own, and the rest is history. <laughs> I played a lot of really different games as a kid. My favorite game was, and to this day, is Super Smash Bros. But I played racing games, I played shooters, I played puzzle games and RPGs, and... Among all of them, there were sports games. These kinds of games were ubiquitous. I was kind of a weirdo, so I tended to gravitate toward the more slightly unusual ones, like Tiger Woods PGA Tour, Topspin Tennis, Wii Sports Resort. But at home and with friends, I played my fair share of the usual suspects too. The FIFAs and the NBA 2Ks of the world. For two years, my college roommates and I kept a Nintendo Wii in our living room, and I'm pretty sure we only ever played three games on it. Super Smash Bros., Mario Kart, and Madden NFL. I want to bring this all back to my initial thesis. That video games were the precursors to the metaverse, and that when people say metaverse in 2023, they're really just talking about games. So, with that in mind... How important is it that I started out as a gamer before diving into the metaverse headfirst? Was I exploring the metaverse when I played those video games? Or was my immersion in games at the very least the reason why I now feel so relatively comfortable operating inside metaverse spaces? Are video games the metaverse? I'm Alexander Lee, a reporter for Digiday covering gaming, esports, and the metaverse. And I'm Sarah Patterson, an audio producer for Digiday. So we've established three basic ground rules for what is and is not the metaverse. So let's go through our rules. Did you control an avatar that represented you? Yeah. Is it a social experience? It sounds like for you, it certainly was. And is it translating physical life into a virtual space? I think with sports games, absolutely. So... Yeah, it does sound like video games are the metaverse. Wow. I'm not sure if I expected that reaction from you. I, it almost makes me wonder whether those ground rules are too expansive. But honestly, I do think it just makes sense. Uh, the idea that video games embody everything we think of as the metaverse just kind of backs up the way some observers have reacted to Meta's big pivot and the concept of the metaverse entering the mainstream. Because... Yeah, I would roll my eyes, too, if people were framing something I'd been doing for years as something new. But I still think it's worth reframing the virtual activity that takes place inside video games as something more in 2023. My point is that I feel like I saw games grow up with me, too, over the course of my life. Don't get me wrong, I still play some of my favorites from the olden days. But by and large, the graphics, the gameplay, the writing, it all just feels way more realistic and put together now than games used to be when I was a kid. And no type of game grew up more than the sports game. I mean, when I was a kid, the most popular sports game was called Backyard Baseball. You could play it on your desktop computer. You assembled a team of children and then managed them in their little league games. 
It was super fun, but cartoonish. And the original version took place in this totally fake world. The kids are fictional characters. There's no references to Major League Baseball or anything like that. But then at some point, they started introducing real baseball players into this game. You could still play as the original cartoon kids, but you could also play as cartoon kid versions of guys like Derek Jeter and Sammy Sosa. And from there, we eventually saw real players and real teams and real ballparks get introduced into pretty much all the big sports games, not just baseball. Nowadays, pretty much every sports game features pretty much every player willing to opt in. Those players get royalties off their inclusion in the game, and they take it all really seriously. A lot of the time, players will actually check their in-game stats and complain about them to the game developers if they think they're not accurate. That gradual increase in realism didn't stop at the players. Obviously, the graphics got better. So much better that these days, it can be hard to tell the difference between the real LeBron James and the virtual LeBron in NBA 2K. If we want a FIFA or Madden or an NBA 2K to translate every single minute detail of the sports experience, then we can't ignore ads. In the past, sports games used to include ads for fake products in the in-game scenery. Parodies of Coca-Cola and other recognizable names that would usually be visible pitch side at a real-life sports game. There's Lockjaw Lemon Tarts, Reed's Weed and Feed, Bubba's House of Hubcaps, Witchway GPS Systems. I could go on, but you get the idea. Anyway, the idea was that the games were trying to faithfully recreate the experience of watching a real sports game on TV, and that billboards and fieldside ads are just a part of that experience. I guess the game developers could have tried to sell those fake ads as actual advertising inventory, but back then I doubt many of them were equipped with the sales teams to do that. And it also would have been hard to figure out the licensing rights, too, because any ad would have had to be hard-coded into the game, meaning it would be there forever. Improvements in technology have changed that, too. Nowadays, almost all video games are inherently internet-connected, meaning the developer can constantly push through tiny patches and updates, changing every element of the game, including its in-game ads. This means that those ads in virtual sports stadiums can actually be hot-swappable, and even placed programmatically now. And, of course, the game developers have finally started to realize how much money there is to be made putting ads in these natural in-game environments. So, yeah, part of the evolution into a more realistic portrayal of sports games includes real ads for real brands associated with the real sports leagues, all the way down to the Herbalife logos on FIFA jerseys. It's all about creating that picture-perfect recreation of the physical games played inside those virtual stadiums. And it goes back again to that central thesis, that the closest thing to that pie-in-the-sky vision for the metaverse right now is gaming. When a lot of people use the word metaverse, they're describing things that gamers have already been doing for years. What's changed is that big companies, including game developers, have finally started to understand this. And now they're looking to make money out of it. And like any media business looking to make more money, you can guess where they went first. Ads. Right. These days, ads are everywhere in games. And gamers are not always happy about that. But the games in which ads are arguably most palatable are sports games, like FIFA. In fact, most of the people playing FIFA probably don't even realize that they're looking at real ads. It's kind of a coup for brands, because it's just a little replication of what you already see when you're watching soccer. Yeah, it works on me when I play these types of games. When I see Miami baseball field instead of Lone Depot Park, it takes me out of the realism. 
But it also makes me think of what Brian Merchant was saying in our first episode about how the promise of the metaverse is a world that is deeply commodified in every possible way. We want to do the metaverse and we want you to work from home and put on these goggles and pretend everything is okay outside of this. We want you to be able to escape into this and sort of funnel all of your attention into this digital world that we will uh, we will govern, by the way, and we will force you to buy all of the pieces necessary to enter it. It will be a completely uh, for-profit, uh, deeply commodified world. That's fair, too. I mean, things like in-game ads are a good example of why companies like Meta and Roblox and what have you are pouring billions of dollars into developing metaverse platforms in the first place. At the end of the day, it's all about converting gamers' interest and activity into cold hard cash. In-game advertising is something I've written about quite a bit over the last two years. Last year, I broke the news that the Interactive Advertising Bureau was developing new measurement standards for virtual in-game ads. And since then, I've been following the technology evolve pretty closely. In-game advertising has been around since the mid-aughts. The technology has improved a lot now, and with the advent of programmatic advertising, game developers can simply include natural locations inside their games that can have digital ads hot-swapped into them. Things like in-game billboards, posters, or roadside signs. You might walk past one of these in-game and see an ad for Campbell's Chunky Soup. Play the game a month later, and it's an ad for Cirque du Soleil. And as game developers started to build more of these trappings of the real world into games, in-game advertising companies started to increasingly position themselves as part of the metaverse, or at least precursors to it. I don't see the metaverse as a, a completely new thing. To me, the metaverse is the 3D internet, uh, an internet powered by gaming technologies as opposed to be powered by HTML and traditional web languages. So in a way, it is that moment in time where gaming technologies have become mainstream and are now being used beyond games. That's Sam Huber, the CEO of Land Vault, which calls itself the biggest real estate company in the metaverse. So you can use the same tools, the Unity, the Unreal, but instead of building a game, which used to be what they were used for, now you can build other things. It could be a, uh, an e-commerce experience, or it could be a, a social network in 3D, or it could be you know, a museum, for example. So the, the use case for game engines has transcended games. Sam's company owns virtual tracts of land in platforms like Decentraland. Its primary business model is to rent that land out to brands interested in developing a presence in the metaverse, then help those brands design and build custom virtual experiences. But LandVault didn't start out this way. Until last year, LandVault was known as AdMix, and it was one of the largest in-game advertising companies. According to Sam, this kind of virtual branded experience is necessary if brands want players who actually engage with them in the metaverse a lot of the brands that we had are clients as as Admix, which were some of the biggest advertisers in the world, uh, McDonald's, the Coca-Cola, and so on. They all wanted to do more than just ads in games. They all started to ask about metaverse because in the metaverse, you can not only advertise, but you can tell a story. You can almost have a, a branded game. You don't just need to have placement in someone else's content. You get to, to shape that content as well. So they felt, those brands felt that we as an in-game advertising solution were in a perfect position to kind of help them understand this world, which is just an innovation of, uh, on gaming. Sam acknowledged that he's working in a really fast-moving space, and he freely admitted that what's made his company millions of dollars in 2023 might not necessarily work out in 2024. But he was confident that whatever shape the metaverse takes, brands will need companies like his to guide them through it. 
you could tell that that hype was the main motivator. The, the way that clients were approaching it, uh, which was not necessarily wrong at the time, but it was pretty clear that you know they just wanted to be first. They wanted to have press around it. They were not really trying to build long-lasting experiences. So back in Q4, we thought, you know, what is the real utility of what we're trying to do here? It's it's fine to grab the grab the money, grab the clients where they are, of course, but what is the long-term vision? What are we trying to achieve? What tools can we build? For Sam, the answer was to take what he was building at Admix and use it to create, deploy, and monetize 3D experiences. He used the same tools his company had developed to implement in-game ads to construct immersive virtual spaces inside platforms such as Decentraland. We now have this uh, this complete uh, toolkit for companies uh, and governments and uh, enterprise that want to, you know, create um, 3D experiences quickly, deploy it on the web to make it accessible everywhere, and then monetize it through ads, through e-commerce, and so on. Bringing in brands is a core part of Meta's metaverse strategy too. Brands like Wendy's have already created bespoke virtual spaces inside Horizon. And you get the sense that the platform is trying to recreate what Roblox and Fortnite are doing with brands. The so-called Wendyverse, where users can hop behind the counter to serve virtual burgers to hungry avatars, was one of the first times a major brand activated inside Horizon. But it pretty much looked exactly like any one of the dozens of branded experiences that have cropped up in Roblox over the last few years. And compared to brands' activations in Fortnite and Roblox, the Wendyverse didn't go over very well. Foot traffic in the experience appeared low, although Meta did not publish specific numbers. And the whole thing was more or less savaged by the media. Just look at some of the headlines that it elicited. The Wendyverse is a virtually tasteless restaurant. Watch this video and tell me Meta's Metaverse has a future. It all sort of underlined how much of a lead Roblox has over the other platforms when it comes to inviting brands to play inside them. There's a robust and growing economy of in-game creators that interface directly with brands, more so than on any other platform. While Epic Games is taking strides to help Fortnite catch up, Roblox is already on the cusp of extending its lead even further by becoming the first major metaverse platform to roll out programmatic in-game ads later this year. After the break, we'll hear directly from the person leading that effort at Roblox. Let's talk about ads in Roblox, because I think that platform provides a bit of a counterpoint to the idea that in-game advertising is nothing but a stepping stone on the way to more immersive virtual brand experiences. Because Roblox is moving in the other direction to some extent. Roblox sees immersive experiences and virtual billboards as two entirely separate forms of marketing and advertising that work in tandem rather than competing with each other. Roblox has had immersive experiences forever, but in 2023, it's just now starting to roll out programmatic ads in the form of billboards and other in-game objects. It's already beta testing them with brands like Puma and the NFL. In January, Roblox hired Ashley McCollum, a former BuzzFeed executive, to lead its push into programmatic ads as the company's new head of immersive media solutions. We are building an ecosystem where brands can build sustainable audiences and presence on the platform. Like if you launch an Instagram channel, you know, you combine that with advertising to drive to your temples and drive to your um, account and, and build audience and build followers. And, you know, the, a similar model can um, be viewed on Roblox, where you build a presence on Roblox, whether that's through um, virtual goods or, or persistent experience or a limited time event. And then you use Roblox advertising to, to supplement that. And so those two things kind of have to go hand in hand in order to build a sustainable ecosystem on the platform. 
Ashley has been part of just about every big transformation in digital media over the course of her career. More than a decade ago, she helped launch some of the first social media accounts for NBC News. Then she was the mastermind behind BuzzFeed's Tasty brand, whose overhead cooking videos I'm sure you've seen on Facebook. So I think her decision to join Roblox to spearhead their ad business does feel like a strong endorsement of the channel. We inherently believe brands, if done right, bring value to the platform. They don't make the platform worse. They make the platform better. The only way to build an ecosystem where brands can engage with our developers, create a real communication channel, is one where we are able to drive distribution to those channels. And so before advertising, it was much harder to have a, you know, a guaranteed sense that you would, you know, you could get users there. And so I think we're ahead of the game and I think we're ahead of the market and being able to say, hey, you can build innovative, immersive 3D experiences, but we can also drive distribution there in a way that is is, um, non-disruptive. Making ads in Roblox non-disruptive is key to preventing players from getting burned out on brand involvement in the game. One of the ways Roblox is trying to do this is a new ad format called Portals. Portals are basically ads for other Roblox experiences that can be placed inside one experience and that allow users to teleport into the other one. Brands can use these to redirect user traffic back into their more immersive branded spaces. Normally, an ad on one site trying to get you to click to go to a different site is annoying for the user. It's a pop-up covering text or a pre-roll in front of a YouTube video. But in the metaverse, these ads are a more natural part of the environment. They're attracting users, but not disrupting the experience as much. Brands are more interested in the portals format than any of the other ads getting tested on Roblox right now. So I think that the market has proven our hunch that portals were the right um, ad product for the for the platform. Certainly, I think you can expect to see a lot more from us um, in the future, but but portals are the best way to programmatically connect the entire ecosystem of Roblox together and drive, you know, uh, strategic traffic to your uh, to your experience in a non-disruptive way. Um, and so I, I'm, you know, I'm, we're thrilled with the early success. It feels like there are two different directions that ads are going in the metaverse. There's the stuff like the ads in the sports games we talked about earlier, which basically take tips and tricks from traditional marketing and advertising and translates them to the virtual world with print ads you'd see on the street or product placement you'd see in movies. And then there's stuff like portals, which are unique to the metaverse. Yeah, I mean, we're all used to seeing billboards advertising stuff. But imagine seeing a billboard for an event like Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest in Coney Island, being able to press a button on that billboard and suddenly being transported to Coney Island just as the contest was starting. That's why I'm a little more interested in talking about portals than I am about any of the other forms of advertising that Roblox has come up with so far. It's advertising that is native to the metaverse. Nobody is teleporting into a branded experience anywhere else. And for that matter, you could argue that this kind of ad format is doubly effective for brands because the experiences users are teleporting into are essentially big ads themselves. Personally, I prefer the more traditional forms of advertising. Actually, selfishly, I prefer no ads, but that's not the world we live in. If I have to see ads as I'm in the middle of one of these experiences, I'd rather see something like a billboard or a poster that I can passively ingest. One important difference between these metaversal ads and the more passive ones you'd prefer 
is that when you go to those experiences, you actually get something from them. It goes back to the idea of human co-experience, the definition of Roblox that Craig Donato gave us back in our first episode. What this kind of metaversal ad offers that billboards and pop-up ads can't is the experience. If you use Roblox's portal, you're getting an experience out of it. People are happy to withstand ads if they get something out of it, and these ads give them something, like limited edition rare items or new avatars and skins. That also gives advertisers an incentive to make these immersive ads good. No one wants to use a site if it's cheesy or boring. Personally, I find myself wanting ads to appear inside my games. Hear me out. Watching ads in Candy Crush gives me access to specific items that help me beat levels way more quickly. If I get something out of an in-game ad, then I consider it to be a positive, and I think a lot of Roblox users have probably been conditioned to feel the same. Look, Sarah, the numbers don't lie. Some of the user activity stats coming out of the top branded games in Roblox are absolutely wild for an ad. Sonic Speed, a Roblox experience promoting the Sonic the Hedgehog movie, brought in over 579 million visitors since it came out last March, with an average playtime of more than 11 minutes. My Hello Kitty Cafe, which published a month later, boasts an average playtime of almost 16 minutes, with users giving it a 97% satisfaction rating. It's hard to gauge the exact value of this kind of activity for a brand, but the numbers look pretty good when you compare them to the other types of experiential marketing brands are already spending on right now. One type of in-person experiential marketing that we've seen a huge boom of in the last decade or so is activations. Now, I don't know if there is an exact definition for it, but I think we all know it when we see it. It's things like the Museum of Ice Cream or the Friends Central Perk experience in Manhattan. When I saw the Barbie movie over the summer, a cafe across the street from the theater had been turned into a Malibu Barbie cafe, which isn't much different from a normal cafe, except that it had pink cocktails, a very long line to get in, and most importantly, a ton of photo opportunities. Which is basically what all of these things are, just giant interactive photo ops that are selling people an experience. And much like the Roblox experiences that give users limited edition items or avatars, you walk away from these with a photo to show off on your Instagram. We live in New York, so I think we are acutely aware of these pop-ups. They are all over the city, but they're usually limited to major cities, like New York and L.A., and they're limited to a certain number of people at a time. Yeah, I remember a few years ago, a coffee place near where I was working turned into Luke's Diner from Gilmore Girls to promote the newest season. As a millennial woman, of course, I wanted to go, but the lines were insanely long, and only a certain number of people could actually get the coffee cups they were giving out. So while I'm sure it was incredibly effective for the people there, I mean, they were literally lining up to be advertised to. The reach maxed out at probably a couple hundred people. Certainly less than the 500 million who visited the Sonic experience in Roblox. This is the promise of advertising in the metaverse. Experiential advertising is nothing new. There's stuff like that Gilmore Girls experience, or Bobblehead Day, or t-shirt cannons at a major sports stadium, or the Museum of Ice Cream. These are all advertising experiences no different than the bespoke virtual spaces brands have designed inside platforms like Roblox. But not only are there fewer limitations to what brands can do with their Roblox experiences, you can fly, set yourself on fire, do all kinds of crazy stuff you couldn't do IRL, but the potential scale of metaversal experiences is just so much greater too. 
most of the time, experiential marketing, like the stuff we've mentioned, is available only to consumers living in or near major cities, and often for a cost. Roblox is available to everyone, and it's free to play. One of the topics we covered back in the first episode was the ways in which bringing real brands inside games can actually make the experience feel more realistic or immersive for players. I'm sure there was a small contingent of gamers who complained when the lockjaw lemon tarts and knobby tires of the gaming world were replaced by real brands. But I can guarantee you that the majority of gamers didn't even notice, and those who did registered it as a positive change. Like you said, you notice when a game doesn't have the rights to the name of a real ballpark, and it takes you out of the immersion. You would see real brands inside a real ballpark. It's a mouthful, but the operative word here is versimilitude. In other words, the appearance of being true or real. Gamers appreciate realness, and if done right, ads can contribute to that. Plus, advertising inside virtual worlds is just effective. According to a recent study by the Chinese telecom company Huawei, seeing a brand's logo inside games made users over 7.6 times more likely to remember that brand than people who learned about it via traditional digital ads. Yeah, I can see the benefits of this. I, I hate standing online, so I could totally imagine going to a virtual Luke Steiner instead of waiting for hours and spending 50 bucks to get inside the real one, especially if I actually got something out of that virtual experience. I would imagine it's cheaper for brands too, right? They're not having to pay for retail space or the people to work there all day. I guess the answer to that question is always sort of case by case. But by and large, I would say yes. It takes fewer designers to build a virtual space in Roblox and fewer staff members to man it, given a lot of these experiences are mostly automated. And I bet there's a lot less potential legal liability too. There's no way someone is going to get burned on their coffee inside a virtual diner, right? So it's no wonder that we've seen more and more brands lean into metaversal marketing full-throatedly over the last few years, especially as the kids inside these platforms grow up. Right. A lot of those Roblox users are kids. Am I the only one who feels a little icky about creating such elaborate advertisements to target kids? Not at all. Organizations like Truth in Advertising have done things like file complaints with the FTC, accusing Roblox of deceptive advertising tactics. They argue that Roblox's branded experiences weren't properly disclosed as marketing activations, and that children aren't cognitively developed enough in the early years to understand the distinction between marketing and normal in-game content. At the end of the day, though, I tend to give kids a little more credit. I think they can tell when something is being sold to them, and they're willing to participate in that as long as they get something out of it, like an in-game item. And ultimately, the audiences of these platforms are gradually aging up, so it might be a moot point in five years. And in Roblox's defense, it's clearly aware of the concerns. After the Truth in Advertising complaint, it rolled out new guidelines requiring so-called adver games to more explicitly mention their brand affiliations. And from talking to Ashley McCollum, it's clear that Roblox is taking the user experience very, very seriously when developing its first ad products. I don't think some parts of the metaverse ever need to have ads. VRF Gym or Teflon Sega, those guys can make money in other ways, like ticket sales or donations. But if the metaverse does come together, the platforms are hoping brand dollars will help keep the lights on so that groups like VRF and Teflon can continue to operate inside them. They're like commercials on TV. And just like commercials on TV need production companies, there are whole teams of people who get paid to build ads and immersive experiences inside the metaverse as well. On our next episode, we'll meet some of these people and others who are working in the metaverse.
Is This the Metaverse is a podcast by Digiday Media. It was written and reported by Alexander Lee and Sarah Patterson. It was produced by Sarah Patterson and edited by Ben Elman. If you've been enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And feel free to share it with somebody else who doesn't know what the metaverse is. <laughs>